podcast about real people for real people. I wanted to create a space where I share my true feelings and those of my guests about what it's like to live in today's world. The challenges we face and how we deal with them or don't. What about all that stuff that's just not said but should be? You know, the conversations that we really want to have but don't. What do we really think and feel? What about our regrets, dreams that we have and the stuff we should be doing but we don't? Each week, I'll be here talking to real people about real life. This is a very honest look at life and hopefully, by listening, it will help you to have a better understanding of yours. Which wolf will you feed? We started by discussing the classic Cherokee Indian legend about which wolf will you feed, which I find fascinating. Eden is a beautiful person who at 21 has seen a lot of life. She's experienced childhood trauma, her parents divorcing, living in two countries, traveling extensively and having incredible experiences with amazing people, being in the army and living in a pandemic. She has so much passion and an energy and positive outlook on life and at a young age has done some real work on her mental health. She's been to bad places and will continue to do so, but understands what's going on when it happens and has the commitment and wisdom to work through her issues, to grow and be the best version of her possible. Eden is highly empathic, who connects deeply with people and craves that connection. We discuss her belief system and her thoughts around not being good enough, struggling to find a voice as a child in her family, feeling like she was unheard and becoming angry and depressed and not having the same experience as her friends were at the time. I truly hope you enjoy the conversation as much as we did. So welcome. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. So there's something that I want to read to you, which is a blessing. And the title of it is, Which Wolf Will You Feed? One evening, an old Cherokee told his grandson about a battle that goes on inside people. My son, he said, the battle is between two wolves that live inside each of us. One is evil, unhappiness. It is anger, envy, jealousy, sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, self-pity, guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies, false pride, superiority, and ego. The other is good, happiness. It is joy, peace, love, hope, serenity, humility, kindness, benevolence, empathy, generosity, truth, compassion, and faith. The grandson thought about it for a minute and then asked his grandfather, which wolf wins? The old Cherokee smiled and replied simply, the one you feed. Which wolf do you feed? I think like everybody else, I tried to feed the good wolf, <clears throat> the happiness and the everything else that you said. I think that it's definitely a work in progress for me. Everyone wants to, I mean, I'd hope that everyone wants to be a good person, but different obstacles and different situations and different people challenge that. So I think 
that's a part of life, kind of just learning how to constantly focus on feeding the good wolf. But I'm more than happy and to admit that sometimes I feel the bad, feed the bad wolf. Sometimes I do things with ego or with anger or with whatever else there is. I think it depends on the situation and my mental state and where I am in life and who I'm dealing with. But I definitely try to be, I would like to say that I'm quite an empathetic and patient and honest person. And I'd hope to think that I will continue doing that and being that kind of person. Are you good enough? I don't think I am, no. And why don't you think you're good enough? I think it depends on the certain situation, but as a rule, with most most things in my life, I don't see myself as good enough. And there have been things to prove that, that I haven't been good enough, whether it's been in a relationship, whether it's been with a family member, with a friendship, with a job, with a decision I've made. I mean, obviously there's times when I have been good enough and I've succeeded and done a good thing and whatever that means. But yeah, most of the time I don't think that I'm good enough and I don't have enough self-confidence to change that. So where do you go to when you don't feel good enough? Like mentally? Yes. I don't know. I either think it through and kind of rationalize it and try to get to the bottom of it and try to understand why that is and if it's what I really want and maybe I wasn't good enough because I didn't put enough effort because it's not something that I really want which is a lot or sometimes I just don't want to put enough effort from the beginning because I think that I'm not good enough even though I probably could be but I, I don't think that I go to a dark place I mean I used to but I try to now just rationalize it and deal with it in a healthy way and when you say used to, when was that? When I was younger, when I was, I don't know, 14, 15, 16, I was really depressed and I wasn't happy with myself or my life or anything that I was doing. And I was just going through the motions. I wasn't really living, it was surviving for a long time. It was just surviving and anything above surviving was not possible and not considered. It was just getting up, live, surviving and then going to sleep and doing it over again. And when was the point where you recognised that that was happening? Or did you know consciously the whole time through that period that you were, you were like that? I think it took a bit of time, but quite quickly I did realise that I was just surviving. And it bothered me because I was going through a time that is supposed to be awesome. I mean, yeah, it's high school and middle school, but I, you know, all of my other friends were going out and having fun and getting with boys and drugs and alcohol and I was just trying to make sense of my life and trying to survive and it, it, it definitely felt like I was missing out on a lot of things because of that. I, yeah, I knew quite quickly that it was just survival mode for a long time. And what was the thing that made you change from being in survival mode to living? I think I'm still trying to kind of get there. I think that it's a different type of survival now. As in, when I was younger, it was more of an emotional battle. And it was just dealing with my own demons, whether they were physical or mental. And now I think it's more just trying to make a place for myself in life and trying to better myself and survive with what I've got in the current situation of what's going on in the world. and. 
and trying to survive with the lack of tools that I have at whatever given point. Yeah, it's still a battle, but it's, yeah, like I said, it's a different type of survival now. Do you go to anybody else to help you think through when that stuff comes up for you now? Or do you just process it yourself? And how do you process it? Because again, when I always talk to people and anyone listening to this, you may have some things that you do that would help other people who also have exactly the same issues that you do. Because let's face it, a lot of people have the same issues that you do. Yeah. Um, Is there anything you can point to? I think it depends on the certain issue. Uh, I go to my dad when I'm looking for more of a logical help of way of helping myself. When it's more emotional, I'll go to my friends, but I usually try to rationalize it within myself. And that's literally sitting down and saying, okay, this is bothering me. This is an issue. I don't want to feel like this. And then kind of just letting myself, like giving myself an appointment, because I'm an overthinker and I know a lot of people are overthinkers. So I kind of try to appoint myself, let's say three minutes of complete overthinking, just going crazy with my mind and saying this and that and just going all over the place with all of my thoughts, trying to understand the root of why I'm feeling a certain way, what I want to change about it, how I can change it. Lists personally don't help me. I don't write things down a lot unless it's like a to-do list, but thinking of pros and cons and whatever, that doesn't really help me. It's kind of just in my mind, thinking what I want, thinking what I want to get done, thinking of how I can, looking it up on the internet, getting educated, whatever it is, and then from there moving forward. The only time that I write is when I have something proper to write and it's like a whole thought process and all of these things that I'm thinking I want to put out on paper to properly explain my thought and how I'm feeling. And tell me, because I overthink as well, what, 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 when you're overthinking, what's in your head? Is it just a thousands of different thoughts or you, you t tell yourself that it's whatever it is you're trying to do if you are trying to do something that you can't do is it the negative self-talk that comes in or I know it depends on perhaps what it is but to go back to stuff we talked about before the pod when I was saying to you about oh you know I want to do I've wanted to do things and I've got to a certain point in my life and there are lots of things I have done I have achieved and I'm grateful for all those things but there are things I haven't achieved because I've overthought them to the point where I've told myself I'm not good You're enough, not good I can't enough. do it, right. that's not going to happen, who's going to want to listen to, do, 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 or whatever it is. There's a million possible... Is it just exactly the same for you? I'm interested, is my overthinking the same as your overthinking? Or do people who overthink think overthink the same way? Do you discuss that with other people who overthink? Or are we all different? When it comes to overthinking, I definitely think it depends on the subject at hand. But a lot of the people in my life are overthinkers. And it mostly has to do with well, at least for me and other people that I've heard from, it's kind of like a certain situation and it's like, oh my God, what does that mean for me? What did they think about me? It's mostly about what other people think because you obviously can't know what someone else is thinking. So you think in your own mind like, oh my God, they hated me. They thought this, they think this of me. They want to do this, but they won't say and they won't that. And it's just something that's been a reoccurring thing for me lately is to understand that at the end of the day, we're all human and we're all, we've all got our traumas and our, struggles and our fears and our you know things that are going on for us and once you understand that and you see that the person in front of you is just like you in so many ways whether they're a man or a woman same sex different sex older younger whatever it is they're still a person and they're still basic human unless you're a psychopath basic human 
thoughts and feelings that pretty much everybody has. And once you pu- push that wall away and you understand and you see them as an equal, it's a lot easier to open up to them and kind of see them as who they are. And then there's less overthinking because you think, okay, well, if I feel this way and this is what I'm thinking, then there's a big chance that they're thinking the same way. Why don't I just open it up with them? Worst comes to worst, they have no idea what you're talking about and you feel better about yourself because you've opened yourself up and that's a good way of communicating because I think that, and I see it all the time, a, such a big part of, of problems and issues and dramas between people is because of lack of communication. And once you put that aside and you're vocal about how you're feeling and what you're thinking and what you want and what you want to do and whatever it is with that person, not only does it bring that person closer to you because you connect on a different level, but you feel better about yourself because you you haven't kept it within yourself. And when you do keep it within yourself, that's when you overthink because you haven't shared it with anyone. So you're thinking, oh my God, there's this and that. And what do I do? And what do I say? And what are they thinking? What do I, but once you just throw it out there, it's a lot, it rationalizes your thoughts because you think, okay, I've just said it. It's probably not a big deal. And then, like I said, it connects you with the person and there's a lot less of it thinking there because you're just connecting with another human being. And so, and it can take, it's, it's a big step often for someone to do exactly what you said. So there's vulnerability in everything that you've just said in being able to open yourself up to somebody. You've done that and it's worked, which is why you keep doing it. You've done that and it hasn't worked and that's knocked you back. In your journey in life, how's that most times when I've opened up to someone or when I've communicated how I'm feeling, I would say 92% of the time I've gotten good feedback and it's definitely helped me with the person and built a relationship and built a connection and whatever it is. I think it also depends on the person you're dealing with and what the situation is. I've definitely had a few people in my life where I haven't felt comfortable and there hasn't really been a need to open up to them, but... I think it shows maturity as well. And when I was in the army, that was a big thing to, because it's, it's kind of like, you know, there's these orders and you follow them and that's it. And your feelings and your emotions aren't really relevant. But when you sit down with your commander and you say, listen, I'm really struggling with this, or this is an issue for me. Or, or I remember when I got a new commander and I was really scared. I was terrified. I was like, she's going to be a terrible commander. She's not going to know me. She's not going to know what I need. So then I kind of thought, okay, I'll sit her down. I'll explain to her my situation. I'll explain to her my life because I was a lone soldier and I was struggling with a lot of things at the time. As soon as I sat her down and just explained to her my side and what I needed and said to her, listen, I want to have a good relationship with you. I want to be a good soldier. Tell me what you need from me. I'll tell you what I need from you and that way we can communicate better. As soon as I did that, we had an open relationship and my service with her, with her was a lot better because she saw me as someone that really was there to, to make a difference and to have a good time while I was there. So yeah, I think a lot of the time it's down to communication and I've been, I surround myself with people that are open-minded anyways. So that's definitely come in handy because the people I'm with are open-minded and are willing to listen and hear and change and see things with an open eyes and are willing to hear other people's thoughts and opinions. That sounds fantastic in terms of, because clearly I can see that you've grown as a person as a consequence of doing all the things you just said because you would have done. And yet, you still overthink. So if you were able to do all the things you've done, and I can relate to everything you've just said, because I can do that, and I can be very open and very vulnerable, but I still go to the place in my head where I think through all the possible outcomes that can happen, all the reasons why I shouldn't do what I do, and then I stop myself from doing it. 
Well, I think there's two different parts to overthinking if we're going to look at it like that. Because what I was talking about when it is when it's overthinking with someone else in a certain situation and you're trying to think of what they think and what they're feeling and whatever. True. And that's when you talk to them and that's when you cut off the overthinking and there's no room to overthink because it's out there in the open and you've talked about it. And that's when you've, you're at peace within yourself because yes. it's been spoken about. When it's but when you. it comes... Pardon? When it's you though. Yeah. So when it comes to overthinking about your dreams and what you want to do and you know your aspirations i guess i'm still working on that one i think that it just takes chances taking chances and understanding that no mistake is a mistake and kind of whatever happens happens and as long as you've got your health and so maybe you'll lose some money here and you'll lose some money there and you'll you know understand that you're not as good at something as you thought you would be and that's what, isn't that what life is? Isn't that the whole idea of it is trying and failing and learning what you're good at and what you want to do? And it's better to try and, fa- you know, isn't there a quote? It's better to try and fail than to not try at all. And that's seriously, like, don't you want to, I mean, I just keep thinking of the future me when I'm 80, 90, about to die. I don't want to look back and think, fuck, I really fucking should have tried rollerblading. I really should have taken that job in Italy for three months. Because everything in life is an experience. And even if it's a bad experience, it's still an experience that you're going to learn from in the long run. Yeah, regret will destroy you. So destroy. Don't have I could never, never have regret. Even regret. though I'm saying that to you, and I totally get that, but I have held myself back from doing things because I've told myself either I'm not good enough, I'm not able to do that, people aren't going to like what I do, other Who's people gonna, don't believe in you. Yeah, well, all, all the stuff. Again, I am not, as you quite rightly said, and, and one thing that you didn't say, which I know you would know, is we are all connected. That people don't really understand. On an energetic, on an energy level, we are all as one. People think, because it's me and I am in this body and you're in that body and we, we've all got our bodies, we're all separate and all the stuff in my head is just in my head. Yeah, but as an energy, as people, we're all one. 100%. So if we're all one, then why? I don't need to think that way. And yeah, I, absolutely, that's the way I do think. Because we're human and we're flawed. Yes, yes. And we like to self-sabotage sometimes. Yes, which is <laughs> it's so, it's so frustrating because the only person who suffers as a consequence of... It's me, it's not, you know, or you in your case. It's like, what? And then... Again, I can apply a logical way of thinking at some point and go, why did I, why am I, it's not easy to do that because then I can be caught up in the overthinking of it and I can't see the logic of, like you just said, just do it. What have you got to lose? And I know deep down, I know absolutely that I'm older than you, I'm 50, you're 20, so there's a, but it doesn't matter how old you are, I think, yes, you've had more learning in life, but I think if you're overthinking, you're an overthinker. I think it's trying to come up with ways to deal with that and how to push yourself through that, which and is a challenge. And to ignore the overthinking. Pardon? But, and to ignore the overthinking. Yes. But I think it's also, it takes time and it takes practice. Yes. To not only control your overthinking, but when you do overthink, how to utilize that in a positive way to think of all the great outcomes that could come from yes. whatever you do and or bad outcomes and prepare accordingly. Because if you, if you think about it, your overthinking is because it's like, oh, what if this goes wrong? What if this goes wrong? And that comes with anxiety and whatever. But if, let's say, you think something could go wrong, if you prepare accordingly for it, from it, for it, or you tell yourself, even if that happens, 
it'll be okay, I'll work through it, I have other things to deal with, it, it makes it okay and the overthinking isn't as loud or isn't as bad. Yes. Do you think there's any connection between overthinking and not loving yourself? Maybe, I think, to an extent, but then again, it depends on what the thoughts are. I think that overthinking comes with anxiety and anxiety comes with, you know, maybe lack of confidence in some certain situations and lack of confidence comes with not loving ourselves. So there's definitely a connection, but I wouldn't say that there's a straight connection. I think it really depends on the person and their thoughts and how they think and the way they were brought up and if they were taught self-love, if they weren't. Their physical appearance, you know, their family dynamic, I think, has a big, a big deal in it as well. Yes, but don't you? Because we've talked about this before, is, and I've said to you that people don't talk about self love. They don't talk. You said, oh, if you talk, if you just said then, depends on their family. Do you know anybody? Maybe you've not had this conversation, and I haven't had this conversation in my life. I don't believe that people have been taught how to love themselves. No one sits you down and go, you know what? And then this is, it's really important that you love yourself because you need to be kind and compassionate to yourself because if you don't, then you're going to be hard on yourself, you're going to put yourself down and blah, 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 blah. Anyone told you that? Did your parents tell you that? Um, friends tell you that? I've definitely had conversations about it in small and I've, and I've definitely heard it over the years, but I don't think that it's just one conversation. I think that it's a constant lesson that needs to be drilled into from a young age from the people surrounding you. And that's, and I've seen it in different parents and different people where small things, they won't talk about weight with their kids. They won't talk about their own weight struggles because they don't want to instill weight watching within them, within their kids, or they'll teach health, but in a way that's like, you've got to be skinny to be healthy in a way that's more, you've got to be healthy. The way to do that is exercise. And as a way of that, you would probably, you know, be fit. But in a way of kind of teaching your kids that defying basically society and saying that this is what it is to be, to love yourself, but it's a constant lesson. It's not just to sit down like, hey, you got to do this because you got to, you know, love yourself and no one can love you if you don't. I think that it's something that you've got to constantly drill inside your kids because it's not a one-time thing. I kind of agree with that as well, but I also think that if you, you know, having if you have a very specific conversation where you say, like I did with one of my kids, where I said to him, because I could hear, he'd, oh, I'm such an idiot. He'd use words that I can relate to because that's the way I would talk to myself. Mm. That internal dialogue when something went wrong, trivial, just a, a nothing thing. Mm. But the language I would use would be very damning, very down, very hard on myself. Mm. And I heard him doing that, and I said, can you can you not hear the way you're talking to yourself? That internal dialogue that you're using is really harsh and really strong. And that cannot help you in the world because you keep putting yourself down, which means you're going to believe you're not good enough. You're just, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. When, maybe when things don't work out for you, oh, there we go, didn't work out because I'm not good enough. Mm. And I don't know, and I don't have lots of conversations with lots of different people, where maybe people do have a very specific conversation about, you know what? Learn to be kind and be compassionate to yourself because if you love yourself, that will reframe the way you see yourself in the world and and guide you through decisions and issues that come along and help you see through them, well, you're not so hard on yourself. Well, I think it definitely starts with a conversation. Like you said with with your son, I think it definitely starts there, maybe even when they're younger. 
but it should still be something that's instilled in lots of different conversations and lots of different subjects within their lives. Yes, I agree. I just don't think it, it's talked about enough. Definitely At not. all. And it's something that comes up for me. But I think it's also not talked about enough because society gains from people's lack of confidence. Think about if everyone were to wake up tomorrow and they would all love themselves, how many businesses would go out of business? How many people would lose money? Plastic surgery, makeup, you know, <laughs> gyms, all the different things that thrive on people's lack of confidence and lack of love, they'd lose a lot of money. So it's a very scary and very real thought to have that tells you what, which is what you just said, which is the world is, is very structured in a way to, to, for people to, and I often talk about it, society is constructed to make, to put people primarily in a place of fear, mm -hmm. to think that they aren't, they can't, they're not good enough. So that there are lots of entities out there, businesses, whatever you want to call them, they're able to do what they need to do and make money because they're playing on people's fear. Mm -hmm. Fear and lack of yeah. love. That's quite a scary thought. It's, it's real because that's the world we lived in. It's but yeah. pretty fucked up to bring your kids up in a world like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you can navigate your way through that. There are, I think there are ways in which you can instill values and beliefs in you and people close to you and your children, children, where you... Yes, that is around you, but there are lots of ways, I, I think, that you... To can, defy it yeah. and to be different. Yes, yeah, I think being different But then too. another thing is in today's society, and I, I see it changing, but it, it's still a big thing that when someone does show self-love and confidence and loves who they are as a person, they're seen as stuck up and they're, ew, like, why do you love yourself? And really, like, it's judgment because people are so used to, you know hating themselves and being down about themselves that all of a sudden some com someone comes along that's confident in their skin whatever that skin looks like for, to them and people go well you're stuck up who the fuck are you to think that about yourself and that's where it's fucked up have you witnessed that in your own with friends or have you just you're talking about seeing that in the world in the wider world I see it out in the world but I definitely see it within my friends and within people I know and within myself. Sometimes for me as well, it's like, okay, you love yourself, but chill a bit. And that's, that's my issue and that's something that I'm still working on. But I also think that there needs to be a level of a balance of loving yourself, but really loving yourself. And I think that there's a difference between uploading selfies every day and getting thousands of likes on every photo because you're beautiful. You're a beautiful girl or beautiful boy. And that's fake self-love. And those people that are obsessed with their bodies and obsessed with getting likes and comments and being loved by society and loved by their followers. But then you don't know what's really going on. They could, you know, go home and think, okay, yeah, I'm skinny and yeah, I've got a great ass, but I hate my hair and I hate my skin and I hate my eyes. And I'm talking about real self-love. And sometimes the people that really love themselves are the people that flaunt it the least because they're comfortable within themselves. They don't need to be accepted by the people because they've accepted themselves and for them that's enough yeah i agree with that who do you want to be the good wolf <laughs> what is that i mean i going back to that blessing and you know what it looks like but what tell me what what does that look like what kind of person do you want to be I want to be the kind of person that people can turn to, that people feel comfortable coming to with their problems and their issues and want to 
share things with me and someone that they can trust. I want to be a good person. I really mean that. I want to be a person that makes good with other people, but someone that's also good with myself and content. I think that's a big one. I want to be content with whoever and whatever I am. And it's scary because, you know, there's a certain expectation that, you know, you finish high school, you travel, you do what you got to do. You know, in my case, you do the army and then you study and then you get a career and then you start a family and then you get married and you have kids and you live in a cute little house with a cute little garden and cute little doggies and kids. And you have that career for the rest of your life and you do, you know, you go on holidays here and there and maybe you'll get divorced, maybe you won't and then you die. And yeah, some people, it works with them and obviously it's, I've made it sound very bland, but there's amazing experiences in that, having children and, you know, and having a job and having money and having a safe environment for your kids and growing old with someone or not growing old with someone or meeting someone new. But I don't know if that's necessarily what I want. So I would like to, I don't want to plan ahead. I don't want to say, okay, this is what I want because it changes. It changes with experience and time and whoever you meet and and whatever happens in the world. I mean, I was supposed to be traveling now. I wanted to travel. I planned to travel. Corona happened. It's not a thing anymore. So I try not to plan too much ahead. I try not to think about too much in the future because it's scary and it's also unattainable because you couldn't possibly know what's going to happen. So I would like to say that whatever I'm doing, wherever I am, whoever I am, whoever I'm married to or dating and whether or not I have kids, whether or not I'm wealthy or not, healthy or not, got dogs, don't have dogs, don't have kids, have kids that I'm content and I'm happy with whatever I've chosen to do in my life. And that going back to what we said before, that I die with no regrets. What's one thing that you love about yourself? My empathy for others. You've always had that? I couldn't really tell you because when I was younger, I think it was needed a lot less because we were young and we weren't that evolved with our thoughts and feelings when we were six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven years old. But I definitely think it's something that I've grown into and something that probably based on the life that I've had has given me to be empathetic. And when you are empathetic, what does that mean to you? What do you get from, from that? First of all, it's a lot easier to connect with people. I think that I am someone that is easy to talk to because I'm very open. So it gives that other person the ability to feel open with me because it's a double-sided thing. Do you, and do you think that that is where a lot of issues, particularly with men, arise because a man can't, men can't pick up on other men's openness and therefore less inclined to share stuff with them which is why men are not vulnerable very often and don't open up. And I don't think it has so much to do with men not picking up on other, pe- on other men's openness. I mean, I can't speak for men because I'm a woman, but I think that as a rule in society, women are seen as the more emotional, more empathetic, more sensitive, more, you know, being able to talk to. And then men are more, don't talk about your feelings, don't talk about what you're thinking, don't talk about what you need and what you want. You're a man, you've got to be a big guy, big man, muscular man with no feelings and no emotions and just deal with it. And that in itself is extremely fucked up. So like I said, I can't speak for men, but 
I don't think it has anything to do with not being able to see other people's openness. I think it's just not feeling comfortable to be as open within themselves around other men. But have you have you are you aware of anyone where it's, where it started off being they were quite closed, very closed, and then after a while you were like, wow, okay, now you're sharing stuff with me. Definitely, but I but I but then again, I can't say if it's because they learned to be more open or just because they knew me for enough time that they felt comfortable with who I was yes. to open up to me. If it's it was someone both. that I was friends with uh, for a long period of time and for you know the first year of our friendship, let's say they were very closed off, I can say that I've seen people open up more. Especially because I've had conversation with them and said, listen, like, talk to me. You need to be more communicative with me. I don't know what you're thinking. I don't know what you're feeling. I don't know whatever, whatever, whatever. So I definitely think it's something that can be learned. Empathy cannot be learned, in my opinion. But openness and the ability to see the other person and be open to them can definitely be learned. Yes, yes. What don't you like about yourself? One thing. I think the thing that I would want to change most about myself currently is I would love to be more patient in every sense of the word, whether it's within that the exact moment where I lose patience or with something that's going to happen, something that comes or patience with someone talking to me or a relationship with someone. But as a whole, I would definitely like to be more patient. And where does that lack of patience come from? Anger, I think. Maybe anger that I didn't learn to or wasn't taught to deal with when I was younger. And it's kind of manifested into just lack of patience in certain ways. I think that and also I'm, I'm, I'm not always impatient. I think it depends on the certain situation. Some things that trigger me more, some things that trigger me less. Yeah, as a whole, I would assume that it comes from anger. So being angry as a child, which you talked about having issues before when you were much younger. Mm -hmm. It's a really challenging question to answer because I would say to you, do you think you were always somebody who had that in you or your environment changed who you were and made you become angry? I would say that 85% of it was my environment, yeah. So how do you feel about that? Because I can sit here and talk to you and go, wow, if that was me, I'd be really pissed that I become something that I wasn't because of what happened to me as stable circumstances. But isn't that what life is? Isn't life being affected and changed and learning and growing and being traumatized and being fucked up by things that happen? Because nobody has a great life. Nobody's life is perfect. Everyone's fucked up from it in one way or another. So yeah, mine was anger and depression and whatever. But I mean, you can't get mad at things that happened that weren't in your control. I re I mean, I became a certain person because of it but then it was also my responsibility to change who I was and I did I'm not an angry person anymore not <laughs> obviously I get angry but I'm not an angry person anymore and I was angry for a long time but then it came time to change that because I didn't want to be angry anymore and then it came down to forgiving myself forgiving the people around me forgiving the people that may or may not have had a part in that anger and moving on from it because if you stay stuck on the certain anger that or sadness or depression or whatever it is whatever emotion it is you're feeling you're stuck and why would you want to give that power to the people around you and the, the circumstances to to fuck it up like that who wants to be angry for the rest of their life nobody you want to be happy and carefree and light 
So at the end of the day, it's up to you whether or not you want to hold on to that or not. That's true. But again, at a young age, you had to experience what you went through. That's trauma of, of a kind. And that's affected you very badly. And to work through that, a lot of people, you said, oh, you know, who wants to be? You're absolutely right. Who does want to have that for the rest of their life? But there are lots of people who do. So it's, I'm saying to you, it's amazing that I think you did work through that at a very young age because it'd be very easy to hold on to that and to blame the people around you for making you the way that you were. And I did. I mean, you know, in hindsight, I can say, yeah, I'm great and I'm doing great and whatever. But for a long time, I was angry and I held on to that anger and I took the victim stance and I whatever. And I did whatever I needed to to get through whatever it was that I was feeling but I got sick of it and through therapy and overthinking and time I realized that I didn't want to be that person anymore and there are a lot of people that aren't as self-aware I think it comes down to self-awareness and being aware of your feelings and understanding that you don't really want to feel like that anymore I think self-awareness is absolutely key and I think mm. that's, that's extremely important but being unheard how much of the anger came from being unheard I couldn't tell you I think it was just a big ball of frustration with my life frustration with my family frustration with being unheard so the only way that I could be heard and seen well I thought I could be heard and seen was to lash out and to you know cry for help in a way whether that came with my depression or my anger or literal screaming fights with family members it still didn't give me the reaction that I wanted at the time. And after a while, it kind of got boring and it was like, okay, well, this isn't working and this isn't good for me. And it's ruining my relationship with these people. I need space and I need time from them. But in the long run, for myself, I want to forgive. I, I want to forgive them and forgive myself. And so you talked about it before. So that growth that you would have gone through to get you through that phase of your life, that would have served you very well then in future relationships that you've had with friends, not family, but other people. Yes, but I think with my family it was very extreme and I just want to make it clear that I'm still working on everything that I've said. It's still a work in progress. Family is still family. It's still the same. They're still the same, but it just comes down to changing who you are and it's not something that I do on my own. I, you know, had ther I had therapy and I have friends that have had different experiences in different life, in different life situations that also help me and help me see things in a different way and rationalize and see it in a different point of view because I try to be unbiased and I try to talk to other people when I'm going through something with someone and I'm having a conflict. Because at the end of the day, every conflict is both parties thinking that they're right, right? So in one way or another, someone's got to be wrong. So that's when I take myself and I go to someone else and I say, this is a situation. Do I have a right to feel like this? Is this the right way? What, what should I do? And it's having the ability to hear that person who you would hope would be unbiased and give you the right answer and being able to hear that and being able to put that into my conflict with that certain person and grow from it and put that ego away and not feed that bad wolf. How do you feel? And I don't mean 
How do you feel today? Do you feel great? How do you feel? It's a deeper. I feel like I'm still learning. Like I've got a lot to learn still. Currently, I'm feeling a bit lost with my life and the current situation and the world. Because it affects you. I think that there's an energy out there with everyone that's still mistrust and pain and loss and no one's really sure kind of where to go and what to do and people are surviving and people are living and people are doing but there's a feeling of loss and kind of unknowing in a way of where we're going to end up and where we're going to go to and how it's going to affect us in the long run but Considering all that and considering where I am in life and what I'm doing and what I have, I'm doing all right and I'm doing okay. And for me right now, that's enough to be content with whatever it is that I am and whatever it is that I do. You've moved country. How old were you when you moved from Australia to Israel? I was 11. Can you look back at that and talk through the challenges, if there were specific challenges, of moving country and adapting and making new friends? I struggled. I think out of all three of us, me and my two older sisters, I think I actually struggled the most, which was surprising to a lot of people. It was really hard for me, especially because I didn't speak the language. So it was really hard for me to connect with other people. Very isolating. We struggled financially when we first got there. My family were very disconnected from each other. And we were all kind of just trying to find our place in Israel and find a job and school and friends and and life. So it took me a long time to understand the Israeli culture, to learn the language. It took me about a year and a half to speak fluently. But it was a long time before it felt like home. And how has that served you now, that experience? I've learned to adjust a lot quicker and a lot better, but also I've learned to deal with instability a lot better because it it is a part of life, my life at least. Instability and not knowing where you're going to live in six months or five months or a month and not knowing what job you're going to have and financially and emotionally and you know socially. So I've learned to acclimatize and adapt and deal with instability a lot better. So you've, you've picked, because I presume you can draw on that experience, you're picking stressful situations to put yourself in, albeit that there's a very big upside in terms of traveling around and going to new places, but that is still stressful to, to move countries, go and put yourself in a new place, have to get work, have to sort yourself out. Yeah, there's some things around that where you do have a structure and network particularly here because you used to live and you've got family and people that you know here but still that's quite stressful you've picked that you've chosen that I've chosen it because I love the world I want to travel that's what interests me and yeah by choosing that life currently you lose out on a lot of other things like stability having a proper home having friends for the long run but The world is huge. The world is out there. I've traveled. Before I came to Australia, I traveled Vietnam and Thailand for two months. Before we moved to Israel, 
11 years ago, we traveled Asia for nine months and I did and saw and ate and said and went to amazing places and did amazing things that I never would have done if my father didn't like to travel as much as he did. So yes, it was instability and it was stress and it was not having friends for that time and not studying and being held back six months because of that. But with every con, there's a pro. With every minus, there's a plus. So I made friends. Before I came here and I was traveling Vietnam, I met the most incredible people and saw the most amazing things and had connections with people that I would never have had if I didn't travel, if I didn't leave. And that's, the, for me, the biggest part of life. It's meeting people that you wouldn't necessarily meet. Because if you're stuck in this same life of, of the same people and the same culture and the same religion and the same color and the same history, you're not growing, you're not learning. It's traveling to different places and having, you know, traveling isn't always easy. Some fucked up shit can happen and, you know, you can be fucked over by a lot of people, but you meet amazing people from all parts of the world with all incredible languages and histories and everything and everything that they've done in their life and everything that you've done in your life has led you guys to be in this exact place at this exact time. And that to me is mind blowing. I feel you're passionate in that. I'm very passionate yeah, about it. I can really feel I miss like traveling a lot. I miss it. <laughs> Why is being you so great? What kind of question is that? Why is being you so great? Why is it great to be you? Because I'm me. I can't be anything else and I can't be anyone no, else. No, but what do you, what do you, when you look at yourself, you, you must do that because we would all, I would hope, yes, you can be hard, but there'll be times when you'll go, you know what? I'm a fucking great person. Yes. Why is why being is it, me? Why is being you? Why is But it? doesn't that come back to the question of what do you love about yourself? Kind of. But if you, but 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 great, great. I think I'm fucking funny. <laughs> I think there that I've go, got. There we go. That's... I've got a good energy. I mean, I have you people have constantly asking me that are like, "Are you always like this? Are you always happy? Are you always this energetic? Do you ever get tired?" And I don't, because. And I was actually thinking about this and speaking about it with a friend of mine last night. You get to a certain point in life, and obviously, I'm still young, so I can't really speak for older people. But you get to a certain point where you lose your creativity and you lose your childishness and you lose that energy, whether it's when you're 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50. I don't know a lot of 60-year-olds with a lot of energy. I don't know a lot of 50-year-olds that are very hyper and out there and going. And, you know, obviously there's um, people that, aren't, that are different. But as a whole, people get bored and they get gray and they get stuck with life and the day-to-day -day routine and that's okay life does that and there's still beauty and a lot of great things within that day-to-day -day routine but I one thing about myself that I really hope doesn't change is that I'm still childish I'll still go and do crazy stuff and I'll still be hyper and I'll always sing and dance and I'll have energy at every time every day every minute of the day I will have energy and I will be up and ready to go and open for new experiences and I think a lot of that comes from my dad because he's like that as well and he's 57 years old but yeah what he always says is you're as old as you think you are and people take my childishness for immaturity but I think that it's two very different things I think I'm quite mature but I'm energetic and I'm loud and I'm crazy and I'm childish and I'm funny and I'm whatever so I think that that's pretty great about myself I think that's a good answer and I totally get that because 
I feel that from you. You're, you're very, you've got a lot of passion. You're very here in the moment, alive. Don't take life too seriously. That's a very, that's, that's that's a very good adage to use, yes. Don't take life too seriously, no. guys. <laughs> I think that's a good place to end. So thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much for having me, Dan. Pleasure. Thank you for listening to More Real. I truly hope you've enjoyed the experience and that you will continue to be here to explore real life with me. If you have, please tell anyone you know about More Real. If you've enjoyed listening and learned something, then I would be so grateful if you could leave a five-star review, as this will help other people to find this podcast. I'm very grateful, as always, for your support.